is Superior Sports Talk with Reggie Wilson and Luke Inman, part of Locked On Sports Minnesota, and it starts now. Back in the lab, Reggie and Luke back at it. Another episode of Superior Sports Talk presented by Locked On Sports Minnesota. Sam Ekstrom filling in for my man Reggie Wilson today. What's going on, Sam? Thank goodness Reggie is uh, is back tomorrow because the arm, Ooh. you know, from all these bullpen calls, it, it's getting sore. So uh, Reggie back tomorrow. Happy to fill in for him. Hope he had a great rejuvenating vacation and uh, hope I've uh, filled the shoes at least, at least decently. I know Reggie's Reggie's like a power forward. He's got big shoes to fill, so <laughs> it's uh, it, it's a tough one. Yeah, we tested your endurance for sure. Great job filling in for Reggie. Uh, so much to discuss today. Of course, breaking down games three and four from the Wild this past weekend with Seth Topol from Locked On Wild. Later on, we'll also talk plenty of Twins baseball after another series sweep versus the Oakland A's. Plus, later, I'm putting Sam on the hot seat one more time with what does it mean. It's all coming up on Superior Sports Talk. But first, make sure to check out our other daily show on Lockdown Sports Minnesota. It's the Ron Johnson Show, featuring former gopher and receiver Ron Johnson and producer, who else? Sam Ekstrom. Get the daily opinions of an athlete-turned-broadcaster. Ron Johnson tells it like it is, whether it's Vikings, gophers, wolves, or twins. Subscribe to Lockdown Sports Minnesota YouTube channel or podcast feeds so you never miss an episode. All right, well, Sam, bust out the brooms. The Twins complete the sweep yesterday versus the Oakland A's with a 4-3 to victory. Twins now have won seven one-run games in a row, the second most in MLB behind only the Blue Jays and Rays, tied with the Astros who come to town tomorrow after a much-needed day off. Jorge Polanco broke up the 2-2 tie in the third inning with a two-RBI base hit. And from the fourth inning on, neither team scored a run. The Twins' bullpen came in clutch once again, combining for six and two-thirds shutout work, handing the A's their ninth loss in a row. Sam, I know the A's just flat-out stink, but you still got to be awfully impressed with the Twins finding a way to win a big league game without Byron Buxton, Carlos Correa, Trevor Larnick, and even their starting pitcher, Chris Paddock, yesterday only could go two innings before he was pulled of an elbow injury. What does it say for the Twins who are able to maximize that young depth and just come away with another sweet move into 14-3 and in their last 17 games? Yeah, I mean, the bullpen was the weak link for the first couple weeks, and now mm -hmm. they're suddenly the strength. Did they give up a run in the series? I don't know. I mean, they only allowed four runs in the yeah. entire series. I mean, unbelievable pitching on the back end, and every game was a carbon copy. You go into the ninth inning with a one-run lead. They've got all these different guys. they got Pagan. They've got Duran going into the ninth inning. Given up a, a couple base runners, hit batters, walks, hits, and, and looking like they're in trouble. I know Friday night, bases loaded, one out. They sneak out of it. The next day, a couple guys on, they sneak out of it. Yesterday, second and third, two outs, they sneak out of it again. They just kept mm. escaping. And you feel for the A's because you know what it's like when your team's in a slump. You never get that big hit. And mm. the A's could not. And the Twins took advantage. I mean, from Stashak to Thielbar to Smith, Duffy and Pagan, good to see their confidence building up because Duffy was struggling early on in the season. The bullpen as a whole was really rough, and it seems like they're coming into their own. The starting pitching remains strong, and you know the offense kind of disappears in this series, but when you have the pitching carrying you, I mean that that that's pretty encouraging when you can win games despite 
not hitting. I still don't feel like the Twins have had their best stretch of baseball yet, Luke. I really don't. They they haven't put the pitching and hitting together for more than a couple of games this season. Now, I'm worried about the injuries. I, I'm curious what you think about this, too. Like Buxton now, a couple injury scares. Correa's got the hand injury. Larnick's on the IL. Paddock has the elbow injury. It's mounting right now, isn't it? Uh, it's certainly cause for concern. Buxton, it's almost like... You just know what you're going to get. You try to ride these waves out and hope it's nothing long-term, like a 60-day DL type of injury. Correa sounds like he's close to coming back, but you're certainly right. I mean, so much young, inexperienced, but highly talented pieces on this team right now getting their shot to make an impact and help the team win. I mean, Royce Lewis, Nick Gordon, Trevor Larnick, you mentioned he's injured right now, Alex Curla, Jose Miranda. I mean, you're talking... All 25 and under here. I mean, a solid young core and nucleus to build around when you stick them in the veteran leaders with Buxton and Correa. So is there one guy I'm just curious that you've been impressed with or has caught your eye the most in this small sample size that, I don't know, you're just really excited about their potential and what bigger role they could develop into? Yeah, it's easy to say Royce Lewis. We only saw him for yeah. one series, got a hit in every game. But, mm-hmm. I mean, that that is a, a piece of your future that you've been looking to now for a while. I think we've always kind of felt like Lewis was one year away, one year away, and this was going to be the year. And usually, you know, the opportunity comes due to injury. You know, and in this case, the Twins had plenty of them, and, and Lewis got the call. And when you have a shortstop prospect, uh, that has the the hitting ability, the speed, sort of all the different tools that Lewis has. You you can't help but be excited. I mean, the, the shortstops don't grow on trees. It's been hard for the Twins to really nail down a shortstop over the years. They tried with Polanco, and he was a little better suited for second base. Um, but I I think that Lewis is the kind of player that could you know get a stranglehold on this lineup and just never give it up. You remember when Luis Arise got called up, I think it was three years ago now. No one really knew who the guy was in a different situation than Lewis, but he just started hitting and hitting, and he never stopped, and he never gave up his spot on the big league roster. I think Lewis could be the same kind of player. Now that he's here, he's here to stay. Um, and it doesn't seem like the the big leagues are too big for him, You know, getting a hit in each of his first three games, off to a pretty nice start. So I hope to see a lot more of him. And if the injury train continues, unfortunately... Um, you know, you're, you're going to see a lot more of Lewis. Now, where does he fit with Correa playing right. shortstop? I'm not sure. Mm-hmm. I'm not sure what, what you do with him. But, um, you know, if he's good enough, you'll find a way to get him in the lineup, whether it's, you know, an, another defensive position or DH. But he is one of those electric players that I think could really lift this team over the summer. Another dominant outing from that bullpen stat here from Nash Walker on Twitter. The Twins pitching ranks fourth in the MLB with a 3.11 ERA. You mentioned him, Johan Duran. He was a Twitter sensation this weekend, by the way, after everyone was sharing his clips of him shutting down the A's to close out that one nothing game with some 103-mile-an-hour cheese, man. That was <laughs> awfully exciting just to watch. And, 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 you know, while the early success is great, I mean, who's kidding who you'll take this as long as you can get it, of course. But is it wise to just assume this is what you're going to get night in and night out? Uh, uh, or is it is there something specifically about the pitching staff, Sam, that you expect to regress back to the mean in some way, shape, or form here eventually? Yeah, it's, it's obviously tough to predict. Um, like, you know, Sonny Gray back from injury looks great. 
Um, are you going to get that from Sonny Gray every single day? You know, probably not. But I, mm-hmm. I think that, you know, I, I might have mentioned this on last week's show. The, the Twins are not asking for eight inning pitchers. Like they, they just don't ask a lot from their starters. They just want you to get twice through the rotation and they're okay with that. Um, I think it's mostly encouraging that the bullpen is, is in, in line because if the bullpen is pitching well, that's really the bread and butter of this pitching staff because the Twins are asking their bullpen often to get 12 outs. I mean, they're getting the starters through five and then the bullpen six through nine. That's really where the games are won and lost. So if this bullpen kind of gets into a rhythm where they can get Pagan kind of in his place and Duran stops giving up home runs and and showing some of that 103-mile-an-hour gas and Tyler Duffy turns back into that sort of reliable seventh-inning arm, I I feel like that's the ultimate goal, is that your starters are a little more interchangeable. You want your bullpen to be in order. And if your bullpen's pitching well, you can win a lot of games, even if you're starting pitching regresses more to the league average instead of being best in the league, which they were at one point last week. I don't know if they still are. Much needed day off today for the Twins, then a three-game series at home versus the Astros. Carlos Correa facing his old team. Obviously, he's still day-to-day after getting hit in the hand. Joe Ryan set to take the mound tomorrow, facing off versus Justin Verlander. That should be a great one. Coming up, we're bringing in Seth Topol from Locked on Wild, and later on, I'm putting Sam on the hot seat. But first... If you want smart post-game reaction from insiders that cover your favorite teams, check out our Locked On Sports Minnesota podcast on YouTube or wherever you get your podcasts. Get instant reactions from our Locked On team hosts along with prominent reporters like Kevin Gord for the Wild and Brandon Warren for the Twins. Subscribe to Locked On Sports Minnesota on YouTube and never miss a podcast. All right, well, plenty of hockey took place this weekend as the Wild and Blues squared off in games three and four. Wild had all the momentum, outscoring the Blues 11-3 taking that 2-1 series lead but last night came out the gate flat-footed and just never seemed to find that same momentum again ultimately losing the Blues 5-2 who tied the series back up let's bring in our wild and hockey expert now Seth Topol who had a busy weekend with plenty of insight and post-game reaction up on the Locked On Wild show make sure to check that out part of Locked On Sports Minnesota Network so Seth We're going to try to give the listeners a little two-for-one here, break down both games from the weekend collectively despite two completely different outcomes. But let's start here like I always do and first discuss your thoughts on the Wild announcing Marc-Andre Fleury in the net for games three and four despite, again, Cam Talbot had that hot hand heading into the playoffs. Remember, he was 13-0-3 down the stretch, but he's just 15-15 and in the postseason. So they clearly made that move to go out and get the veteran with the Stanley Cup on his resume for this time specifically. And I think the message is clear now. They were never really going to waver on that decision. It turns out the only real debate was probably, you know, with the fans and the media. But inside that locker room, it seems like it was hands down, Flurry's net all along come playoff time. Uh, would you kind of agree with that assessment? And I guess now are there any chances, knowing what we know, we'll see Cam Talbot at all in this series. Well, first off, uh, thanks guys for having me on once again. Mm -hmm. Always enjoy hopping on. And you look at it, and Dean Evison said it himself, and this was never meant as a slight to Cam Talbot, said that it was an easy decision for the uh, the Wild to go with Marc-Andre Fleury as decorated of a postseason performer as you will ever find as a goalie and somebody who we saw – a goalie in St. Louis in Ville Husso who has not had to deal with the postseason struggles yet. And really between games two and game three, he was rattled. 
And, uh, you know, he had a couple of really bad performances uh, back to back. And I talked about it in Lockdown Wild between the two games. It was going to be fascinating to see how Huso um, adjusted and uh, what he did differently between the two games. And, you know, a guy who has been in as many playoff games as Marc-Andre Fleury has been knows that you have to flush a bad performance from one game to the next. And you really just have to come in with a completely clean slate. And Flurry has had some really good moments. I thought he was pretty much the sole reason that the game four was 1-1 after one period. The Wilds, as a team, started off really flat in that game. Flurry was not. And overall, this whole series has come down to some really simple things in my mind. The team that gets off to the better start and kind of dictates the pace, dictates the tempo and the energy has been the one that's won the game. And the team that scored first has also won every game in this series. So the Blues were the desperate team in game four. The Wild didn't match that. They brought it later in the game. And I wonder what would have happened had the Wild simply matched that intensity level that the Blues showed right off the bat to maybe be able to take that game. It just... It just is one of those things you, you learn from it. You just can't go into a game where the other team is as desperate as the Blues were. And you can't be anything less than your A game or it's going to be really hard to uh, to try to get back into it. Seth, the Wild have two stars going in different directions right now. Kirill Kaprizov has been a huge producer in this series, uh, scores the game-tying goal on Sunday, scores the crazy bank shot goal on Friday, had a hat trick on Wednesday. I mean, he's showed up uh, since that game one kind of flopped by the whole team. Kevin Fiala, though, where is he? Tell me about where Fiala is, and, <laughs> and then if you want to, you can contrast that with the positive of Kirill Kaprizov really showing up. Well, this is what we didn't see from this team last year. You have two lines that are capable of scoring and scoring dynamically. And the Kaprizov line has taken the lead in this series against St. Louis. The Boldy fiala Goudreau line has been pretty quiet in terms of goal scoring uh, so far this series. And whereas those two line dynamics didn't exist against Vegas, and so with the Kaprizov line shut down, nobody else really stepped up. Um, Kaprizov has taken the lead, which is something that I think a lot of wild fans were excited to see. I was excited to see myself. He has been the guy that has taken charge of this series as he should be. Kevin Fiala, on the other hand, I think is starting to get frustrated with the lack of scoring that his, that him and his line have been able to do in this series. And hopefully the goal that Matt Boldy was able to score to make it 3-2 was a positive sign that this line has taken. But, you know, at the end of the day, Fiala's performance, whenever he's not scoring goals, is way more scrutinized, as it should be. But um, I'm hoping that that goal that they scored late will be one that um, they can kind of build off of going forward. But, yeah, Kaprizov taking the lead is great. If they can get both Kaprizov and Fiala scoring in the rest of the series, I really like the Wilds' odds. But it, it comes down to that line just not pressing too much. I feel like they're kind of trying to do more than they should, which has led to some penalties that Fiala took. Uh, I think he had 14 penalty minutes in Game 4, which is way too much. But if they can just kind of simplify it and get back to their game, I think they're going to be fine. 
And that then makes St. Louis have to decide, do we try to slow Caprice off? Do we try to slow Fiala? And at that point, then one of those lines gets more opportunities. Seth, we talked about injuries playing a bigger factor heading into the playoffs last week than maybe most fans realize. Both teams continuing to get more and more banged up in certain areas. I'm just wondering, how, how do you feel heading into this final stretch of the series, given where both teams stand on the injury front, and how do you think that could impact Game 5 specifically? I mean, does one team have it far worse than the other in the health department right now? Is one team at a far bigger disadvantage when you look at this injury report? Yeah, the Blues are the team that is hurting more on the injury front. They lost Marco Scandella in Game 4 after one period. They announced you know, coming into the second period that he wasn't going to return for that game. So his status going forward is uh, is in doubt. They've got a couple of other guys on the blue line that are missing as well. I'd imagine Nick Letty will return, which will be a big boost for them, but still playing shorthanded. They had two guys on the blue line in game four that played something like 27 minutes apiece. And so that was another point, I think, that was frustrating uh, in watching the Wild is they didn't really seem like they tried to exploit that and tried mm-hmm. to attack a tired decor that the Blues had. And so that's going to be something that, you know, going back to home ice on Tuesday, that's going to be something that they need to try to pick apart is if there are, if the Blues are shorthanded, they're going to have guys that are playing heavy minutes and you got to just, you got to just run right at those guys uh, and try to exploit tired legs and I would imagine you know as we talked about after game one as uh, as a lot of media members have have pointed to in this series that this wild team is very good at adjusting and so I expect them to come out of the gates much better in game five than they did in game four and uh, I think that's going to include attacking that decor as they should I think the wild have to be thrilled though to get to Bennington Versus Huso. I know that Huso had been struggling and you kind of broke him, but Bennington has been struggling as well. He had his worst goals against average in his career this season. He hadn't won in his last nine playoff starts until yesterday. Doesn't it feel like at some point, now that the Wilder are at home, they come out with that energy that Bennington is there for the taking as well? And, and that might actually be a, a open the door for the Wild to get some goals on the board? A hundred percent. And you look at the way that this series has unfolded, the wild forced the blues to make major changes first. And so if in game five, if they stick with Bennington, which I'm, I'm sure they will, if that doesn't work, then do you go back to, do you go back to Ville Husso who has been cooked by this wild team uh, in two of the games that he started? I don't think the wild really tested Bennington enough in game four you, you look at his performance overall, and yeah, he was good, but they didn't test him early, and that led to him getting comfortable as the game progressed. I think if they would have fired a few more shots at him early on, I feel like that game was definitely there for the taking. And so I'll take my chances with this wild team going up against Bennington at the XL Energy Center because he is a guy, too, where if things aren't going well for him early, he tends to melt down. And so I like the fact that the Wild have the Blues on the ropes. Ultimately, you would have liked to have won Game 3 and Game 4, but the Wild got home ice advantage back. And so now they just have to win two out of the next three games. With two out of the next three games at home, 
all that math adds up, I think, to uh, to some good things for the Wild. It's just a matter of getting that intensity going early and uh, dictating the tempo and being the one to kind of put the blues into adjustment mode as opposed to having to figure out how to overcome a two-goal deficit as they have in both games they've lost. Yeah, a lot of great points there. Uh, heading into the playoff series with the Blues specifically, everyone talked about that. You know, their rivalry over the, the, the last few years, the Blues being the Wilds' kryptonite as of late. Both teams know each other so well because these teams go way back. I did a little digging, okay? Fun little nugget. Turns out this rivalry goes way back further than even I knew. Back on October 11th, 1967, it was the Minnesota North Stars taking on the St. Louis Blues in both teams' inaugural season and first game ever as NHL franchise. Does anybody want to take a guess how that game turned out? Game one of both teams' franchise? I'll give you the tied, first try. <laughs> tied 2-2. Two to two. They tied 2-2. Two to two. Unbelievable. We sit here today, series tied up 2-2. Two to two. You can't make it up. So if history tells us anything, this series will come down to the wire. Uh, Seth, thanks so much. You're our wild and hockey expert. Seth Topol, check them out nearly every day of the week on Locked on Wild, part of Locked on Sports Minnesota Network, and with Kevin Gord with their post-game reaction. Seth, uh, where else can the people find all your great work at and anything special coming up we should keep our eyes peeled for? Well, I'm uh, obviously going to continue to we try to break down every game with the what happens on the off day and then gear up for the next game on the day of the game. So you can really separate those parts and uh, allow a little time to, to digest what we saw and gear up with some changes for the next game. So we're continuing with that. We, of course, have the postcasts as well with uh, Kevin Gorg. So uh, you can look for another one of those after game five. But mostly just trying to give uh, as much recap and reaction to all of these games as we can. So uh, follow Lockdown Wilds. Wherever you listen to your podcast, we're getting a great playoff bump, which is absolutely mm. something we love to see. Love so uh, keep an eye on that, as well as YouTube. YouTube is taking off as well, so make sure to follow us on YouTube. And uh, we'll keep you up to date every single game that this uh, postseason push continues for the Wild. And uh Hopefully things are just getting started. Absolutely. You guys are crushing it, doing such a great job, giving the fans such great coverage of these wild playoff hockey. Awesome, awesome stuff. Thanks again, man. Hopefully we'll talk to you again real soon, all right? Sounds great to me, guys. Anytime you want me, I'm there. You're the man. Seth Thanks, Topol, Seth. ladies and gentlemen. Winding Sam. back the clock 55 did, years, Luke, for did that Did that stun you? Did you know that? Is that not wild or what? I had to throw that out today because I just thought, unbelievable. Two to two. They tied two to two. We sit here today, Sam. The series is tied it, two to two. First game ever for both franchises. 1967. It, where were you, you, Sam? Where was I? Yeah, I was I was nothing. I wasn't even a dream. But I say you that know, about yourself. <laughs> if you would quiz me, when did the North Stars franchise begin? I probably would not have been within 10 years. I just don't have enough North Stars like knowledge in like I'm 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 of the wild generation. I didn't grow up with the North Stars the way some people did. So I wouldn't have known that. I know that the North Stars lost two Stanley Cups, and that's about it. It all boils down to the best of three series, as you and Seth kind of laid out. Uh, we mentioned the Wild owning home ice in two of those, so you got to feel good about that at, at, at least. Again, Game 5 tomorrow night, puck drops 8.30 p.m. Central Standard Time. We'll be here Wednesday and all week to break down all the action. All right, the time has come. 
my favorite segment is here. I'm putting Sam on the hot seat, covering all the latest hot topics in Minnesota sports called What Does It Mean? Sam, are you ready? As ready as I'll ever be. First up, what does it mean? Nikola Jokic just won his second MVP in back-to-back seasons. He also became the first player in NBA history. 2,000 points, 1,000 rebounds, and 500 assists in a season. Did all that without the help of Jamal Murray. He was gone for the entire season. Michael Porter Jr. only played nine games. Despite that, Jokic still led the Nuggets to the fifth seed in the West. What does it mean when determining the more impressive feat for him? It was the back-to-back MVP seasons or the fact that he single-handedly led this team to the fifth seed in an absolutely stacked Western Conference. Yeah, I, I think that it's the the MVP. I mean, it's hard to win the MVP in the, in the NBA. To do what he does from a scoring standpoint, footwork standpoint, passing standpoint, I mean, probably one of the best passing big men in the NBA. And, and the fact that he's playing for the Nuggets in a smaller market where you're not going to get a lot of exposure um, and he still has been able to, to win the award, hats off to him. Um, in a year when you know, LeBron you know, was, was, was down, Durant wasn't in the lineup all the time, some of the stars were definitely out of the picture, and he was able to, to kind of take, take the lead in that sense. Um, but you know what that tells me? That tells me that if Carl Anthony Towns would just like round out his game a little bit, mm. he could very well be in the mix because he's not that far off from what Jokic does. Um, so I, I think that uh, MVP, unbelievable. Two MVPs, unbelievable. There's not that many guys like, you know, not named Durant or LeBron that, that have won this award. So um, I'm, I'm very impressed. Yeah, Giannis, oh, the only other person who went back-to-back, and that happened, obviously, right before Jokic won his two in, what, 18 and 19. So pretty impressive feat, nonetheless. Uh, next up, what does it mean? It's been announced just this morning the Vikings will be heading to Philly, playing the later game in a Week 2 Monday night doubleheader. What does it mean when trying to analyze the Vikings' schedule with now two primetime games in their first four weeks? when combined with that London game versus the Saints in week four. Yeah, it's going to be busy. Um, Sounds like this one's in Philadelphia. So Monday night in Philly, that's going to be a tough uh, environment. They've got A.J. Brown. They've got Devontae Smith. Uh, I still am not all that scared of Jalen Hurts. Maybe this is the year that he takes off, but I know that's a team that really knows how to run the football. We'll, we'll see that Vikings defense tested, that run defense tested in that game. Um, but if, if the week two is on the road and week four is quote-unquote on the road in London, that probably means the Vikings are starting the season at home, does it not? Um, that Just putting the pieces together probably means home in week one, road week two, home week three, and then road week four. That's my guess. Um, Maybe they're going to front load them with back-to-back road games. Usually that doesn't happen. Um, Although, did it happen last year? I can't remember. I can't remember at all. Um, But I I think we probably have a week one season opener coming at U.S. Bank Stadium. couple tough games, though, the Saints and the Eagles 
early on in that season. And I think a lot of rumblings that that opener week one may be against the New York Giants. You mentioned probably not going to stack multiple road games in a row. That means probably, most likely, just kind of putting the pieces together, that coming back from that London game, technically a road game and obviously over the pond, that they should be back at home in week five as well. So it'll be interesting. You mentioned it last week. They may just have their bye week five. A lot of teams get the bye after that big London game as well. So we'll see how it all shakes out. NFL releasing the schedule this week. Last one, what does it mean? I saved the best for last year, Sam, just for you. (laughs) The most heavily bet Kentucky Derby ever was won by the biggest long shot in the field. 80-1, to Rich Strike exploded past the competition during the final turn to shock the world and arguably the biggest upset in Kentucky Derby history. What does it mean for the sport itself when such a long shot like this wins? I know you're a big derby guy, big horses guy. You know a lot more about just the sport and and the history than I do. Yeah, well, I I hope that Rich Inman, your father, just saw the name Rich (laughs) and just put 10 on the horse just for kicks and brought in 800. Um, Mm. Think about, though, how many people who know nothing about the derby or horses or anything just said, I'm going to put $10 on the longest shot and just Mm. see what happens and got paid big time. Um, This is a horse that wasn't in the field until the morning of. This is a horse that got you know beat by 14 lengths in his debut. This is a horse that just got that really had had no indicators, no tells that he was going to come out of nowhere and do this. He'd been beaten handily by other horses in that field. He was in the 20 post position, which is an absurd outside post that almost never produces winners. And uh, he shattered history in so many different levels. The overhead aerial view of his trip down the backstretch is one of the oh. most unbelievable rides you'll ever see from a jockey. Um, and it was all made possible because of a blistering pace. They flew out, and now we're getting really in the weeds, but a fraction of 45 seconds on the first half mile, that's way too fast. That's an unsustainably mm-hmm. fast pace. You want to see more 47, 48. That's a little more standard. So those horses were going so fast early that Zandon and Epicenter just didn't quite have the kick at the end, and that allowed a rich strike to come up through everybody and win that race. Um the payouts were absurd, but not that many people got paid. I think that Rich Strike was the, the you know, obviously the least bet horse. Most like it, you know, I heard at, at Canterbury locally, people are walking away with their heads down because, I mean, one in 80 people or one in 100 people had money on that horse, probably even less than that realistically. Um, just not a lot of people walked away winners except for the, the select few that were lucky enough to bet on Rich Strike. And I bet a lot of them just did it on a whim to say, hey, 80 to 1, let's, let's put a couple bucks on it. You survived the gauntlet once again. Back here tomorrow previewing Game 5 of the Wild and Blues and also Twins hosting the Houston Astros in a three-game series after a much-needed day off today. Remember to subscribe to our YouTube channel and join us every day for another episode covering all the biggest topics in Minnesota sports He's Sam Ekstrom. Follow him on Twitter at Sam Ekstrom. I'm Luke Inman on Twitter at Luke underscore Spinman. Tune in tomorrow to Superior Sports Talk, part of Locked On Sports Minnesota. Reggie Wilson back tomorrow. He's Sam. I'm Luke. Until tomorrow, signing out. This is Superior Sports Talk with Reggie Wilson and Luke Inman, part of Locked On Sports Minnesota.